All right. It is time again for the True Wealth Radio Show on this, the greatest Tuesday you have had all week. And in studio with me, as per the norm. Yes, Matt Dixon. And I have to say thanks for holding down the fort. I was gone last week. Right. And you, and I assume Justin was here too. He was. All right, so you guys nailed it. Well, we talked everything about the top 25 Christmas gifts of 2023. Did you? Yeah, and what, then somehow... Like what, was, what are the noteworthy ones that everybody remembers? Uh, number 25 was wigs. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, wigs. Oh, God. I'm a, I live under a rock. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, number one on the list, I think, was the Apple Watch. And okay. number two, Apple gift cards. So Apple coming in with number one and two. The, Stan- the Stanley Cup made it in the top 20 this year. That um, also blows me away. It's like, right? let's take the legacy product and yep. like, it's somehow cool again. reboot it. Yeah. So, wow. They they must have a great marketing team to be able to pull that off, right? Because like you said, it's the legacy brand. I think it must have been some influencers and some Carhartt beanies or something. I had, um, you know, my my oldest daughter asked for it by name. Yeah. I, I want the Stanley Cup and I want the one that is fits in the cup holder. And, and I'm just That's the one. I think. Yep. So this thing if you knock it over it still spills it's not even like the lid doesn't shut or anything i'm like where where did this come from that this is the thing but hey what do i yeah. know yeah there was some there are some weird ones on there but yep well consumer anyway. trends change just like market sentiment oh <laughs> yeah. there you go oh there that would be a segue if we were more prepared yeah it would be <laughs> uh, yeah here we are it's the end of the year we've been doing a lot of rehash and it's also this is always an interesting time of year uh for me personally because we start to look at projections for next year mm-hmm. and how to set things up and it is really a complex process this year to try to do projections yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Because yeah. everyone predicted that we were going to have this huge recession and that it was going to draw the markets down for 2023. Sure. And the markets have just gone up. Yeah. Well, and it shows you how the markets and the economy are oftentimes less linked together than mm-hmm. people may realize. Right. Like we want to say, well, clearly the you know if unemployment is going up. That's a sign that. Uh, the uh, the economy is slowing down. The stock market should fall, right? And then the stock market will get some kind of uh, wind in its sails, and they go, "Oh well, you know, if a, if uh, unemployment's going up, that means that uh, labor costs are going down. So that's a good sign for business, right? So therefore, the you know future prices are going to go up." I, I don't know heads or tails of what makes the market believe something is more valuable today than it was yesterday, right? Like. What I could tell you is over the long run, investing gets clearer with time mm-hmm. because one, there's like, let's talk about some of the things that, that we can count on regardless of markets. Well, people are probably going to have a retirement account no matter what the markets are doing. Like people are going to be contributing to their retirement accounts. You some can, people. Yeah, yeah, not all people, but I would say a large portion of people are still going to be. I hope it's large. The statistics, I don't know that they bear that out. Really? I think that more than half of people in this country have less than $50,000 saved. In their retirement accounts even? Period. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is staggering. It is. 
I can pull wow. the numbers. I can try to I can try to do some like Google wizardry here and uh, see if I can't get the actual stats. But I've, I know we've reported in the past that there's there's a really terrifying percentage of the population that has less than fifty thousand dollars. And it's what's really shocking is the number of people that live not only paycheck to paycheck, but they have less than a thousand dollars available to them for a crisis. Wow. Yeah, it's it's quite staggering. Uh, now the bigger question. I feel like we just need to like pause and encourage people right there. Like, hey, if you're one of those people, it's not too late to start saving for your future, right? It's, like, it's not too late. There are. We've talked about this on the program before. How there are some things that are structurally challenging. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I say structurally, for those of you that are like, you know, what are you building a bridge or something? What I mean is the way that the economic system is built can present some problems. Uh, imagine that you have, you're in a position where you do not have a vehicle, and so you're limited by where your location. Like this is particularly true where we live in 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 our county. There's not a lot of public transportation. Uh, it's more sort of few and far between in terms of options and getting places, which makes jobs harder to get to because we have a lot of geography to cover and oftentimes measured in miles with a lot of elevation change in the process. So it's not like, well, just get on a bike or walk. You're talking about this could be, you know, an hour long traverse each way to go a few miles because of the terrain. And then there's the weather to to navigate. So if you have, there's some structural problems in, in terms of the landscape and the access to transportation. And then you look at the types of industries that are available and what jobs are available depending on your skill set. And you quickly discover that there may not be a tremendous number of options that pay really well. So then how do you afford to live in a state where housing is some of the highest in the country, taxes are some of the highest in the country, and uh, fuel and food and, and what have are just high cost of living, relatively speaking. Right? It's still cheaper than a lot of areas in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and so the sort of the, the heartless economist says, well, then you need to move somewhere that it's more affordable. <laughs> but but you're not cost to move, yeah. too. Right. And so these are the structural things that are at play. So I'm not insensitive to that. But but those are the folks where you find yourself if you're working minimum wage and trying to support people at the same time. Minimum wage is rarely living wage, mm-hmm. right? And so there is a gap. And then we have a political discussion about how we somehow close that gap by trying to make every job a living, a living wage. wage. And that's just not doable. It doesn't happen that way. No. Yeah, because you cannot um, force work to be more valuable than the marketplace says mm-hmm. it will be. And right. you, just, you just can't. There's You can have all the academic discussions in the world. Uh, what we end up doing largely is we supplement it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like government will come through and it will somehow supplement the cost by providing goods and services uh, essentially at low or no cost to some people by having the taxpayer dollars of other people with more supplement. Right. So there's some redistribution through government to try to load balance that. But you you can't make a job more valuable. Right. You just and and that that throws some people like because it sounds like it's politics. It's not, you know, like you just can't say well, we're going to fix the price of something because you break other parts of the system. Right. It just right? It, changes it, it, the price somewhere else. Yeah. It, it, to, to make a really extreme example, it's sort of like if you had uh, all the trains are on a track and you decide that instead of two rails, you only need one rail. 
<laughs> and you go, well, the trains are all connected together, and so once one goes off the rails, it's going to affect all the ones behind it, too. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just ch- change something and expect it to not have a cause and effect linked to the other yeah. trains that are all connected in there. So, yeah, you, you, you make a change somewhere, and I, I know I'm oversimplifying that analogy, but and, and, and for a lot of our listeners, you're probably like, well, no, duh. Right? But there's somebody out there that's listening and thinking, no, no. I mean, if we just put a minimum wage in place. Yeah, let's we make, make minimum wage, wage $30 an hour. <laughs> like, that's the what same as you're... printing money. Then yeah. you dislocate the value of everything. And we see the cycle where everything just went exotic uh, inflation, right? Um, yeah, we did see it. So we just played it out. Yeah, it didn't it work, did it? To. It did not. It, it, you can make it temporarily look okay, but that's because the system's really big. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if, if it takes uh, a few months or even a couple of years for the money to fully filter into the system. Right. Yeah, and you remember what what presidential candidate was it that was talking about universal basic in- income? Was it Andrew Yang? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was it Yang. About that yeah. And so I, you just got me thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like if we if we printed off the covid money and we handed out, you know, however much that was per person. Um, imagine what that turns into if you extrapolate that out into universal basic income yeah. then what happens to the inflation rate like we're still trying to fight the effects of money printing in covid like imagine if we were to print it and hand it out every month so here's now this fun one yeah let's play the other side of that for a second okay right now we sort of do that through we uh, do redistribution through government services right what i mean if we were trading out Mm-hmm. And I think there's some other dangers here we could talk about. But if we said, well, let's stop doing things like food assistance and we'll just give everybody a universal basic income. Ooh. Okay. But then you have to think to yourself, one of my favorite questions that I ask all the time, <laughs> usually kind of snarky, but what do I say in the office all the time, Matt? The- what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do say that a lot. <sighs> what could possibly go wrong? Right? <laughs> and, and you think, oh, well, let's take what used to be money that could be spent uh, exclusively on food for people mm-hmm. uh, through a government program and give them the ability to spend it on whatever they want. Right. And then all of a sudden, people have new flat screen TVs. Yeah, I was going to say, starving. little Timmy no longer has his carrots <laughs> or his, hot, I guess, pizza pockets probably yeah, in this and, instance. And therein lies some of the problem. And then we, what we do is we get into the real crux of a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Okay? Instead of just a isolated set of problems, now it just ripples through the system. Well, and it has to do with individual decision making. Well, and we know that the highest common denominator there is... Um, that's kind of the issue, right? Uh, on the one hand, like a capitalist system, and I think this is where we theoretically struggle, right? The capitalist system says everybody's free to make their own choices. Yeah, except for the part where you make horrible choices. Well, <laughs> and the problem is the capitalist system seems pretty heartless. It says you can make your own choices, even yeah. horrible ones. What we have socially, though, is a desire to rescue people from horrible decisions. Right. And so Answer what do you do if somebody makes security. terrible decisions? Or worse, what if it's like, well, I'm okay making terrible decisions. The problem is they have kids that are affected by the terrible decisions, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden it's complicated. I feel like all of our favorite you know, programs out there are a result of these, right? Like social security. Um, yeah, the healthcare I mean, is headed in that direction. Like it's, it's just tough because anytime you get big government involved in this stuff, 
I this, think it's maybe it's not even just big government. I mean, big government's. I mean, part it just of it. it slows it down. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, but I think some of it is this is what happens when you give people freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Because freedom of choice comes with consequences. It does. But you. But we have tried really hard to create as much freedom of choice as possible, while also, and this is sort of the cultural anomaly that we've experienced recently, and it seems to be on the on the rise, which is this idea that there's freedom from consequences too, right? Somebody that's else should the just one. write a check to fix it. Yeah. And I go, that's the. Here's the real problem: you can't have freedom from consequences, and not ultimately have it mean that you must take from other people, mm-hmm. right? And the point is, when you take from other people, it works until the other people run out of stuff to take and you have to compel people to do things. And then this is where I get in real hot water for saying it out loud, right? It's just, you know, you say this is dangerous, but then you start talking about, well, mandatorily making people do things. <laughs> and how exactly does that differentiate from slavery? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, our doctors must provide medical care. Even if they're not getting paid. Even if paid. they're not compensated for it. Oh, yeah. And you're like, and there's a lot of physicians that are like, my oath is to do no harm. I'll do the best I can. But what happens when the physicians can't pay for anything? Exactly. Right? Now the and physician's so, getting harmed. Right. And so it, 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 the effect, if you take it far enough down the path, that's the challenge. Right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, there are other things, believe it or not. I, I, I see we're getting long on this segment. So what, let's, let's do this. We'll grab a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the things that aren't necessarily so politically charged, but that we can count on in the system <laughs> as investors. But we got to take a like break. It. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio, 939 FM and 1240 KQEM. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show where we are seeing what we can say that's going to. We're trying to. Off. Yeah, we're trying to inflame <laughs> everyone today. Uh, I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me today. Matt Dixon. And if you were curious where we are going with this, grab our podcast. It'll be available tomorrow. We'll get it posted. We even, we even have some shorts going on that everyone seems to love. You're talking about like the, the short video clips yeah. we're posting mm-hmm. out there? Yeah. Yep. So uh, you're available. We now have our YouTube channel. We're starting to get stuff pushed out. We've been recording for a while and starting to push content out. So. You know, tell a friend, all that stuff. Or if you're that mad, I guess you could throw rocks. That's always a, a thing, too. Uh, Do you love the haters, David? It's I don't love the haters. Believe it or not, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of controversy, but I'm less of a fan of sugarcoating or patty caking something to the point that it loses its meaning or you're not saying the hard thing that has to be said. Okay, well, right? let's just say it then. Yeah. What do we got to so say? The, the hard thing I had to say earlier was uh, you do not get freedom from consequences and still get freedom. Mm. Okay. That's the real catch. I love that quote. You just have to remember that if you want the choices, then you get the consequences for the choices. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame shift it and keep pointing your finger at someone else. Well, and and you can try to blame shift it, but therein lies the problem. When you Mm -hmm. try to shift the blame to somebody else, when really it belongs to you, Okay. It may feel better to you and your ego to try to get that off your chest, if you will, but it does no good for us socially and it no good, does no good for you in the long run because you don't learn and you'll repeat those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. So as soon as you think, oh, well, somebody else made me do it. Right. 
I got news for you. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They were already pointing the finger at each other going, nope, somebody else did it, right? Mm-hmm. No, nope, Serpent did it. No, dude told me. No, she said to tell you. Right? Everybody's trying to push the blame somewhere else and go, I do not want to feel this. And it didn't work very well for it them. Never it never has. No. Right? It just doesn't work to say, oh, that bad decision that I made, I didn't make that. Somebody else made me do it. Okay. Rarely does somebody else make you, you know, somebody could force you into something by like threat of like do this or else. And that can happen. But when was the last time that somebody forced you to buy the thing that you couldn't afford that you didn't need and then put yourself in a, you know, to a worse financial position. And I can't afford the payments because of blah, blah, blah. It's like, "Mm." yeah, you, yeah, maybe you could have never afforded the payments or I could afford a payment. And then the second payment, I realized I'm over my head already. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we have an expression somewhere. Uh, I I think I should amend it because I've said you can't fix, but I'm going to say it's hard to fix stupid. (laughs) Okay. Like you, you, fortunately you can learn. Right, it's possible to learn. So you, you just can, many don't. Yeah, that's the issue. Is that some people would rather rather than learn, try to blame somebody else and play victim. And I'm like, yeah, there you go again. You don't get the freedom without the consequence. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there are gov- that's that's the government program issue too. Is like, oh, right. we like to do all these programs to support people, and ideally, and keep- they're programs that help people to get on their own feet so that they can go do their own thing. And it seems like we just keep adding more and more programs. That's the yeah. unnerving part. It's like someone's paying for that. Well, we add more programs, and remember, the programs get more expensive. They do. Because the nature of our government, because of the nature of our legal system, requires that the parameters pers- be met. Well, there there's personnel that have to run the programs that you add, and that's mm-hmm. an expense because the taxpayers are paying for the government, the government employee that's running your program. So, And then it, it, there are just layers. I'm not even going to go all into the layers of that one. But I will pivot for a moment. Okay. What is a thing that, as a result of our government, we can count on as investors that's a financial thing that we can count on? Hmm. I'll give you a hint. About 20% of it occurred in the last two years in all of Well, history. we can count on the government printing more money. Aha! Yes, <laughs> there we you go. can. Nailed it. <laughs> yes. We just can we can count on our money over time losing purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is that? Well, because they keep diluting the dollar. And uh, right, then why, that's why what it comes down to. Occurs? Because we keep printing more and more and more. Well, right. I guess like it's, what policy-wise, why are we doing it though? They've got to. They've got to keep the government afloat, right? Like, yeah, it, it has to be funded. It, it has to be funded. Yeah, it's yes. How are they going to fund it? Well, they don't have the money to pay for it. So what are they going to do in order to keep the government running? Well, and I suspect they're going it's part to of print the, the money Reserve's and process. put it. Yeah, right. If if you have the Treasury and the Federal Reserve working together, and there's a target inflation rate, then mm-hmm. they have to print some money to hit the target inflation rate. Why is there a target inflation rate? Because you need things to grow, yeah. in order for them to be. It's not just a health issue, right? It's that if they're not growing, they can potentially start destabilize to, the economy. They can they can yeah. de- decline in value. And we don't want deflation. Are, Deflation's scary. worse than inflation. Yeah, deflation's pretty scary mm-hmm. because it it becomes a feeding frenzy on the way down that gets pretty right. gnarly. So 
because you got to figure like all the assets start losing value and then all of the banks that have collateral start losing their collateral so they have to call everything which forces everything to be sold and there's no buyers which means the price drops even more which makes the collateral worth even less which forces even more selling and the banks then have to call more loans which forces even more sales which you get the idea it's right. like this it's like one of those whirlpools that just keeps sucking you further and further it down to the bottom really, really except collapse. it doesn't necessarily spit you back up mm-hmm. And so that that's sort of the issue here is inflation is the less dangerous option, mm-hmm. but runaway inflation, that can be, you know, that's a can lead too. to deflation. Well, yeah. it can lead to your currency becoming devalued to the point that nobody yeah. will accept it. I mean, I think what Greece would be a good example of that. I'd like to use the Confederacy. Yeah, that's a good one. Right. The Confederate dollars as the, as the war was uh, turning in favor of. Uh, the North, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the Confederacy was printing money to try to fund this, and the money was becoming more and more worthless. And as the Confederacy uh, ultimately lost the war, uh, then those dollars ended up being worthless. Mm-hmm. This is also a fantastic example of why physical, tangible assets retain value even if currency fails. Right? This is kind of the case for gold bugs, by the way. Like gold will be there even if the currency mm-hmm. collapses. Right. The, the bigger question is, does anybody want gold if the currency collapses? Like, is that the thing? Will, will the, if we lost the U.S. dollar, would gold be the thing that gets repatriated? Right. Maybe. Right. It might be a good placeholder. I mean, it's probably. Historically, it's worked out. You know, all the millennials are like, Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. I, I will tell So, <sighs> This one's really interesting, but <laughs> I don't know enough about it. I'm about to say something dangerous, but I, I just heard about this, um, and maybe somebody knows and they can correct me on it. Okay. Okay. Quantum p- computing. Mm-hmm. You heard about quantum? Computing, I have. Right? Yeah. Okay. Quantum computing. For lack of a better way to describe this, we think of a current computers as thinking in a linear fashion. So everything's on two dimensions, moving in a flat line. Quantum computing has the ability to operate in three dimensions. So it's not just going on a, a line of say, series left of, and right. Yeah. It's going left and right and up and down in every direction. So it can do massive amounts of computing in a fraction of the time that right. current computers Because are to capable. send and receive something in a linear fashion, that's a long distance that stuff has to travel. But you start going into a third dimension and... Right, and and the fact that it can sort of compute on multiple threads simultaneously. If you mm-hmm. So it was described to me that what would normally take, say, a computer, like let's say it had a password that it had to break, mm-hmm. it might take that computer, let's just say it takes a year to break the password. Right. A quantum computer may be able to do it in a matter of seconds. That's crazy. It is crazy. So the orders of magnitude of processing power are pretty staggering. Now... Imagine that you have something like a cryptocurrency, which relies upon a broadly distributed network of computers to maintain the integrity of a chain of data. Right. And it's the broad distribution that is what makes it stable. If you had a computer with enough quantum processor power. In theory, you could. In theory, you could. Trace the untraceable. Not trace the untraceable you could have enough computing horsepower to co-op more than 50% of the entire chain of miners. 
if you had enough quantum computers. Right. So then so you become you did, like a market maker almost in a sense no, of you the... you can rewrite the blockchain. And oh. You can take everything and say it belongs to you and everybody else gets rewritten out because you could get more than 50% of the voting power essentially. Hmm. With enough horsepower, you could potentially reauthor Bitcoin. Hmm. It's now, almost like a quantum computing war. Well, we need to make a movie. Would be, the trick would be you'd need to get quantum computers on board doing the mining. The right. problem is that the way the mining works and the horsepower required, it would be interesting because it normally takes a certain amount of time before the equations get halved, and there's all kinds of goofiness to it. I don't understand all the idiosyncrasies, but I, I just know that the part of the value is in the processor power required to, to do it and maintain it. And quantum computers, if they came along and decided to be in that gig all of a sudden, and maybe I don't know, maybe it's more secure than I realized. Like, well, it couldn't really do it because of this side of the other. But if it could come in and just overwhelm all the other computers because it's so much more powerful, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, your little desktop doesn't stand a chance against a quantum computer that's capable of do processing it a million times faster than you. So, yikes. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. <laughs> so, so when somebody says, oh, we'll just put it in Bitcoin, I'm like, gold's looking smarter. Yeah. Because that quantum computer's not quantum computing gold. <laughs> well, there you go, millennials. You have it. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, by the way, this is that's not, not investment not advice. Not an advertisement for gold. <laughs> that's not or investment advice. Yeah. So... Uh, we got to get to the investment advice. Uh, it, it comes down to this. We can count on inflation. Okay. We can count on inflation, money printing. What yeah. else can we count on? Well, we can count on taking Taxes. another break. Okay. <laughs> it's 334 or 434, so we got to take the break. Uh, what are so, we going to talk about when we get back, though? Well, I think uh, let's talk about how the market is setting up and so the things that we do know looking into 2024. I like it. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, uh, where Matt and I have talked about all kinds of shenanigans. Now you're asking about the future during the break. I am. I'm asking so, you to be a prophet. Well, let's let's not play prophet. Let me turn the question around on you. you sure. You said, what do you, well, he started with, can you imagine what 30 years from now will look like? And I said, yeah. I can. Mm -hmm. uh, now, let me qualify that real quickly. And before I ask Matt a question, you know, when I say I can, like, I can imagine it. doesn't mean I'll be right. 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 But I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I remember 30 years ago, I know the pace of where we're seeing things. Uh, I don't think we solved problems that tech science has always tried to solve. Like, I don't think we, there's like, we completely control and manipulate gravity. It's not like everything's going to be floating around in the sky with right. no power source required. I don't think we see that, but I see... A lot of technology, a lot of information available. Um, I, I see still a pretty big divide between uh, the the wealthy and the poor, but I see it looks like to to today's people, poor will still have a lot of creature comfort and a lot of access to things. But um, the question will be sort of how it's managed and maintained. Right. You know, I mean, often that's that's sort of an observation socioeconomically is that if somebody's got very low socioeconomic status, it seems that oftentimes things also, it's, it's I don't know if it's because that's what you start with, or uh, but people ride stuff harder, 
right? Sure. Like you yeah. get a new car, and within two years, you know, somebody of high socioeconomic status in two years, that car has been worn less hard than somebody lower. And that may be a really unfair observation because I could just have a limited sample. Yeah, it sounds about right, though. I see, I seem to notice that often. Mm -hmm. And so I think that compounds because that's human nature to a certain extent. Is like, yeah. You know, but yeah, so my question now is to you. Oh. What do you think 30 years looks like? I mean, if we go back 30 years from now, we're in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I mean, televisions were this little tiny thing, you know, that you, the picture quality was horrible. I can remember the first computer coming into the house. Internet was just coming through. Mm -hmm. If you were to tell someone back in the early 90s even what today would look like with VR headsets and the ability to go into the computer and type in something and chat GPT is going to spit it out in 0.2 seconds. Um, I mean, gosh, I can remember in school we were using encyclopedias to do reports. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that you take today's technology 30 years from now, I don't even think anything's going to be recognizable. Like the way that we're living today, the way that we commute, um, the and, way that we communicate. People still want to move into houses that are 100 years old because they're charming. Yeah. It's true. I think we'll see the middle class shrink a lot. And I think we're going we're gonna to see a bigger uh, divide in wealth. I do mm -hmm. think that. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so convinced personally. Yeah. I, well, I am convinced that there'll be a divide in discretionary wealth. Mm -hmm. But if one were to look at how much we have right now. Right. Like the, the typical person. So almost everybody in the United States has a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Right. Which means almost everybody has Internet access. Right. Right. It's not exclusive. There are still people that don't have Internet. There's still areas that don't have broadband in this country, but not a lot of them. It's Largely, the rural. creature comforts have increased. Yeah, we have climate control, mm -hmm. right? And we have indoor plumbing. We have a lot of things that, by modern standards, there's a tremendous amount of creature comfort. Right. But in terms of discretionary income, uh, it, it seems that we have less discretionary income, although I'm not convinced it's because of how much we're earning as much as how much more is required. That's a big piece. Right. And so when you think about all the forms of insurance, the various forms of electronic access, because, you know, everybody has a phone. Most people pay for it. And most people pay for Internet. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you think about, well, what's the cost of insurance? What's the cost of food? What's the cost of housing? What's left? Right. Because you think even in the last 30 years, people weren't necessarily paying for Internet or uh, you know, insurance on their phone. Insurance was a lot cheaper, proportionately. Right. Um, things across the board have really inflated. And do I see that inflation coming down in those areas? No. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how people live. But it's also in, interesting in the to future. see what has changed in terms of wants versus needs. It's true. Right, because I think that there's some real confusion about wants being called needs that right? is the big piece i must get the latest and greatest apple phone mm-hmm yep okay I but at what cost you. yeah at what cost right and it, it's the you know the amount that's spent on fashion mm -hmm. uh, and 
I look at what people spend on vehicles now. That's just staggering to me. Yeah, I mean, how many people in the future will be able to even afford a vehicle? Of course, this one I do think very likely. I've said this on the show before, so I'm not scared to say it again. I think a lot of people, like, I think my children learn to drive, but I think their children may not. I think you might be right. right. And I think it's this idea that a lot of public transit, it won't just be public transit. It'll be all these car manufacturers creating self-driving vehicles. I could see an environment where, especially in high-density urban, you are not allowed to drive. The wow. computer does yeah. the driving, and there's I see fewer that. accidents. And Little pods, almost, that are yeah, transporting it's, people. It's more smart routing, the mm -hmm. same way that um, you think of a computer routing data. A computer routes vehicles. It looks at what's on the streets, and it knows what the appropriate throughput is based on the demands at the time, and it can say, well... You know what? You're coming off the freeway and going on this side street, and somebody else stays on the freeway. And you think, well, why is that? So, because you'll both arrive at about the same time because the way the throughput's going to work, you're going to be on a lower capacity, slower road, but you're going to be moving with fewer interruptions than the large. It's just going to be all out. Do you think it might not even be like cars or road systems in the traditional way that we think of it? Maybe more of a drone system? I mean, the drones have come so far. I mean, you can you, you got drones now that can fly a human. And in these high-density areas, if you only have to go one to two miles, maybe the airspace becomes regulated drones. probably not if you have a high density. Mm-hmm. Because, now, if you're, by the way, if you're wondering, like, what the heck does this have to do with investments? Well, it kind of does when you start oh, to yeah. plan out investing long-term into where things are headed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so... If, if I were dealing with policy, right, airspace above somebody's home, there's some ownership considerations here. Like who, like where does that end? I mean, if you own land, what about above the land? And what happens if a drone stops flying? Mm -hmm. And now you've got a bunch of potential collateral damage below. The whole purpose of airspace right now and the way the FAA works, and remember this is another governing authority that you're going to have to go in and move a bureaucracy around on and right. 30 years to get it done. <laughs> yeah, so <might> <laughs> That's uh, true. Is that is true. That, you know, you've got controlled and uncontrolled airspaces and right now, airspace over homes below a certain threshold, very much controlled. Right? Yeah. And drones are different too because drones do not have wings in the traditional sense you know they're propeller driven and so if you have a propeller propeller failure then you have not a glide ratio where you are finding a location to land you have a drop hey, exactly <laughs> so there are other elements at play here and so if it's if it's not people do you think that i mean we've seen that amazon's been trying to test with delivery mm -hmm. to your house with these things do you think that that might come through in the next 30 years I think while possible, it's it seems more complicated than we get everybody off the streets where they're not in charge of driving. And have you seen some of these like smart uh, bus stations now where the bus stops at a bus stop and there's a charging pad underneath it, just like a big phone? Yeah. And so you're more or less charging at all these different locations. And so you get a lot more range because you're constantly topping off a battery at every stop. I think you could do that with delivery service, too. So you just have vehicles that are loaded with stuff, and you know they make their rounds and drop things off, including people or product. If Elon Musk is right and the battery technology is really advanced as he believes that it is at this point, and we can get away from using as many rare earth metals as we currently are, that that electric 
capability might really be the solve. Yeah. Then we have a distribution challenge is, you know, we have mm-hmm. to put the infrastructure in place for it. Uh, and then we also have a fuel source issue. Here's, let's be honest. Here's an interesting one. Have you seen the wind turbines that they're now installing alongside roadways? Mm-hmm. They're not very wide. They're only like a foot and a half wide. Um, but as a vehicle passes, it pushes. Oh, like a vertical. Yeah, it's a vertical type fan and it pushes it and that spins and causes a generator to produce electricity. And so the vehicles that are passing by, if they're electric, would be then spinning the generators and then creating the electricity for the roadways. Interesting thought. It is somewhat, yeah, it's it's a, it's like regenerative braking mm-hmm. in this case. Well, let's just take advantage regenerative of Regenerative charging, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think that's our, our real challenge is it's getting the electricity where you want it to go without people getting hurt. And then um, you got to generate the electricity somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think the dirty secret on a lot of this stuff so far is that the manufacturing process and then the creation of the electricity itself is far less clean than people care to acknowledge. Yep. And so it's not really green in that sense. No, but, I mean... But if, if we were to simply get past the, well, let's just say that we want to go to a different fuel so emissions look different on the streets. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, right? You know, uh, personally, I, I don't think our fossil fuel industries... Uh, let's let's it's call it something different. Like oil is an example. I don't think it's going anywhere because we are not going to let go of plastic. No. So like the the oil industry is here to stay because plastic is here to stay. So if that's yep. the case, then maybe it's not going to be a fuel forever. That's the primary consumption, or it's it's one of. Okay, they'll pivot. Yeah. Right, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with adaptation. Right, we don't have a lot of horse and buggy manufacturers any longer. You know, it's funny. This is kind of on topic, but not fully. I was reading an article on what it really takes to build a Tesla, especially in regards to the battery system. And they were talking about how many tons of dirt you have to move and what does it take to move that amount of dirt. And so then you get into these diesel cats, right, that are having to move the dirt and then the refining process. And they took the whole carbon footprint to get just one Tesla battery and then offset that, you know, a gasoline powered vehicle versus an electric vehicle. And the average battery, because uh, they can only recharge so many times before the battery needs to be replaced, right? So I think it was like six years or before something break before the break-even point, and then the average battery lasts, you know, eight years. So all this effort that you're taking to save on two years' worth of emissions difference, it's not a whole lot yet. And yeah. Tesla's yeah. largest charging station is powered by... Cool. Diesel generators. Diesel. I, be- I believe they're diesel generators. Oh, wow. So, it's not as green as you believe. Yeah. I don't think, uh, unfortunately. And I like fall- electric. I- don't get me wrong. Like, I love oh, electric cool. engines. Like, a Tesla's cool. It's like driving a cell phone really fast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I don't dislike them at all. I'm not hating on Tesla. No. I'm just, it's funny how this always falls along political lines these days. Yeah. Like, that's really? where I so, just want the, yeah, yeah so I want the policy to come yeah, out of it. If you're uh, uh, on the left side of the equation, if you're, you know, more progressive, it's like, oh, it's green. Um, if you're a conservative, you're like, no, it's just cool to drive. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm of the, it's cool to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just call it like I see it, right? I'm like, don't tell me that this thing's green. Like, like once it's done, it's green. But like you're you're ignoring 
I've said this before. You let the puppy in the house, and just because it craps behind the curtain doesn't mean it didn't crap in the house, right? It's still yeah. a problem. You can't say it's behind the curtain and it didn't happen. Yeah. Right? That's just what happened. So. <laughs> oh, anyway. my gosh. All right, look, we're running long. Let's grab our last break here. And, uh, yeah, the music's already playing. When we come back, I don't know, more nonsense. But okay. uh, it'll be great. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEF. Why did you? Why I, now? I had to break your eyes. <laughs> why? There's no breaking of my eyes. I just saw the headline. It was like, really? Yeah. Once again, we're just. Uh, I think our my pastor made a great joke, but it's probably accurate what he said. You know, Santa got to save some time this year when he got to DC. He just didn't have to land at all. Oh. <laughs> just like just little. Made up a little time, easy peasy. I'm well, like, yep, yeah, great. West Virginia coal sales through the roof. Santa's just flying around above DC with a shovel, just pitching coal. <laughs> <Drumming it. laughs> oh, man. What a filthy city, littered in coal. It's it's a shame because um, I think if you go there with ideological perspectives, you're probably pretty ineffective. But if you stay for any length of time, you're probably pretty sold out. Yeah. So it's just what do you do? And I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's been a time or two people, I think mostly jokingly, have said, well, you should run for office, And to which I think, uh, how could that be a good idea? I've said too many dumb things out loud on the radio already. How about you just say one more? Give me one more dumb thing on the radio. One more dumb thing. (laughs) How about they're not dumb? They're just real and people can't handle the truth it's really tough when they're like oh did you just you know it it boils down to the 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 most silly talking points and nonsense where you go oh because of your this position whether it's wealth or race or ethnicity or or or, you know whatever disability or status and it's like then you can't say a thing about a thing what right Right, like, into so that we you're, say, you're not allowed kick to rocks. have an opinion unless you're somehow of the right class to have an opinion. And I go, how exactly is that anything but the very thing that we're saying it shouldn't be? Exactly. Like, I, just a head scratcher to me. And so, oh no, no, it's not because we'll just redefine the word mm-hmm. so to mean what we want it to mean. I'm like, no, you can't just change the meaning. Well, it's 2023, and that's that's what we're doing. So yeah, that's the part that drives me nuts. So what do you want to change the meaning on, David? I don't want to change the meaning. How about, <laughs> I, I, I would really like to just, you know, like key principles. At the So in the last few minutes of the show, things, if it was like, if, if 2023 would be a success, if we got the following messages to uh, people out there in the community. Is this our last radio show of the year? I think it is. Oh, yeah, gosh. Next year is, we'll it is. This is the last radio show of the year. Last so year, what are the big takeaways for 2023? Hit me with them. So. One of them is, right, you don't get freedom from responsibility and still get freedom. I got one for you. Okay, go on. Uh, Don't make really rash decisions because I can remember back in, what was it, was it October when we were, you know, having a little pullback in the markets and we had some people wanting to do really rash things. Right. Don't make rash decisions. Right. You should. There's still the the takeaways that are unchanged. Like I think one of the takeaways is investing on principle hasn't changed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With the technology has come the ability to do new things. There's more access than ever before. Information travels right? faster. So yeah. so that means that your tactics can be a little different, but the principles are unchanged. I like it. Okay. And so that's that's really key. The other one is if it's going to be, it's up to thee, right? You have to be the one to do it. You can't expect somebody else to be the one to invest for you. You can't expect somebody else to be the one to learn this stuff and just 
uh, you don't have to have any responsibility. There has to be accountability. Yeah, and and to you yourself. have to take responsibility for yourself that in one. this process. Okay? Sure. The other is wants and needs. Know the difference. Especially right now, right. with credit card debt at all time highs, you got to know what it is that you actually need. Right, and deferred gratification uh, still in vogue. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think there's. Uh, I would say this. I think experiences are more valuable than things. But if you're rationalizing spending to your own harm, then I think you're doing it wrong. Right. Okay. And so the last, the last one I would say is, uh, I don't care, like when you started. If you haven't already, start now. Right. The old expression: When is the best time to plant a tree? Twenty years ago. When is the next best time? Right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So do not wait until tomorrow. Just get started. I like that. So how about you? What would mm. you What would you tell our listeners? Just make good choices. <laughs> like, I know that sounds crazy, but like people often, I feel like, make decisions knowing it's going to harm them. And you can make better choices. You can. You got to just stop and think about things once in a while instead of just acting on impulse. We're too impulsive. Yeah. Pump the brakes. That would be good advice. Mm-hmm. Right? Just pump the brakes before you make a decision. And, and here's the last one that uh, is completely self-serving. Get a second opinion. Yes. Okay? And this is where we say if you are not comfortable making the decisions, find somebody to work with that can help you. If you don't have that somebody, give us a call. Matt, Mm -hmm. how do they do that? 541-375-0898. All right. Well, we're out of time for this show and for this year, so we're out of here. Uh, Check out the website at littlejohnfs.com for all the goodies. But until then, uh, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth. We'll see you next year.